Stay standing with me as we read from the scriptures from the book of Job. And the Lord said to Job, Shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? He who argues with God, let him answer it. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I have spoken once, and I will not answer. Twice, but I will proceed no further. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Dress for action like a man. I will question you, and you make known it to me. Will you even put me in the wrong? Will you condemn me that you may be in the right? Have you an arm like God, and can you thunder with a voice like his? Adorn yourself with majesty and dignity. Clothe yourselves with glory and splendor. Pour out the overflowings of your anger and look on everyone who is proud and abase him. Look on everyone who is proud, bring him low, tread down the wicked where they stand. Hide them all in the dust together and bind their faces in the world below. Then will I also acknowledge to you that your own right hand can save you. And then Job answered the Lord and said, I know you can do all these things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Hear, and I will speak. I will question you, and you make it known to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you, and therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. The word of the Lord. Lord God, we thank you for the power of this passage. We are small, and you are big. You are wholly other. And God, as we contemplate or attempt to contemplate how we stand before you, I pray you would give us grace and mercy to understand your goodness, your greatness, your power, and your love for us. Lord, I pray for Stuart as he brings the word today. I thank you for this opportunity to hear from preachers with passages that are etched on their hearts. And God, I pray you would Give Stuart the power and the presence and the ability to hear from you, that we would hear the word preached and listen and act. In your precious name we pray, amen. Well, good morning. It's a pleasure to be with you all today. It's, um, well, it's been almost a year since I finished up my time working here um, as an intern from Calvin Seminary, and it's a joy to see the many familiar faces and the many new ones as well. Today we are looking at 
this end of the account of Job. Um, usually when we read a story, we like to start at the beginning and, and go through the middle and to the end. Um, but in this account, we're meditating on God's answer to Job, on so much of God's response to Job's suffering and Job's questioning. Job was a righteous man. In, in the beginning of this letter, not letter, this book, God marks Job as righteous. Satan, the accuser, he comes in from wandering through the earth and God just offers up Job. You see this man, he is righteous. What do you think of him? And Satan, he kind of accuses God of being merely transactional. He supposes that the only reason Job is righteous is because God will pay him back for that, for every sacrifice, for every good deed, for every prayer. God is good to Job because Job is good to God. And so God gives the accuser permission. God allows Satan to strip Job's life away, to take away his possessions his family, his livelihood. Job is reduced to ashes. And he mourns. And at first, Job is steadfast. He is sure. He knows he is righteous. And he knows that God is just. And he trusts in that. His wife tells him to curse God and die. And Job refuses to. Because Job knows that God has a purpose. But shortly after, Job proceeds into lament and cursing. The memory verse for this week is from this curse that Job had on his own life. In chapter 3, we read it already this morning. But Job says, why is light given to him who is in misery and life to the bitter in soul? Who long for death, but it comes not, and dig for it more than for hidden treasures, who rejoice exceedingly and are glad when they find the grave. Why is light given to a man whose way is hidden, whom God has hedged in? For my sighing comes instead of my bread, and my groanings are poured out like water. For the thing that I fear comes upon me, and what I dread befalls me. I am not at ease, nor am I quiet. I have no rest, but trouble comes. And proceeding from here, Job's friends debate and argue with him. Job! You must have sinned. You must have slipped your tongue. You must have done something that you didn't notice, and God is punishing you for this. And they debate back and forth. All the while, Job, he is sure of his righteousness, but he is being emotionally dragged through the mud as his friends accuse him 
And he knows he has done no wrong. He's going through this roller coaster of emotion and why am I suffering? Why is this happening? He's seeking for an answer from his friends who cannot provide it. And finally, he turns to God as a plaintiff in court and seeks to ask God, why have you done this to me? And God answers. God answers Job out of his mightiness, out of his power. This is a response that we do need to hear from time to time, a response we need to know and be reminded of. We suffer and we seek comfort in that suffering. God's response to Job's laments needs our attention. I'm told that every Wednesday here for the prayer meetings, there is a time of lament. We should be lamenting the brokenness of this world to God, our Father. Because we do all suffer. We do all experience the ways in which this world is broken. The splinter under the fingernail that provides a persistent pain, it's not grand suffering. It is not the death of a loved one. But it still reminds us this world is not whole. We know those eldest among us have lived through the many changes in this world, in government, in fashion, in war and peace. Who have walked beside friends, spouses, children, who have suffered sickness and disease, held them from the first meeting to the last embrace and waited for that slow but sure impending march of death. We know suffering. Even in this time and place of luxury and material wealth and food at the push of a button, yet we know what death is. Yet we know sickness. We all experience suffering in this world. Even our youngest, the toddlers and the infants in our families, who can't play with that knife for reasons obvious to us, but to them is a cascade of suffering, of disappointment. To them, not touching that stove is the height of travesty. Or even those days when the parents are arguing or the food is not there. I'm sure there are not a few moms who are worried because formula is not as regularly supplied right now. All 
all they want is that warm embrace, the sleep and the food. And yet so often they cry out, something is not there. Or even ways in which we do not fit in. Wesley Hill is a New Testament scholar and as he grew up, as he went through his adolescence, he discovered that he was not like his friends. He did not have that flash of heat when he looked at the girls in his class. He discovered that that form was not attractive to him, but instead those of the men around him. His desires did not conform to God's design. And so he struggled, trying to find a way in which to prime the correct response, to foster in himself the right way in which to live. And so he suffered as the world told him, satisfy your flesh in the way that your urges tell you to. And yet the church said, do not. And so he struggled Remaining celibate, remaining single, against the wishes of the world, and also in the church, which so often tells everyone, get married, have children. That is the design for everyone. When we see in Scripture that singleness is a beautiful thing. And so Hill has suffered and has learned and been sanctified. We can learn what it means to be married in opposition to that model of singleness. And we can learn what it means to be single in a world that promotes following the flesh or a church that promotes family above singleness rather than alongside of. All of us in some way experience the manner in which the goodness, the perfection of creation has been stripped away. Like Job had his life stripped from him, bare, wallowing in dust and ashes as he scraped the boils on his skin with pot shards. And when we have those nights where the children keep us up, when we are on the phone in grief, when we are waiting in the hospital, we ask God, why? We ask, why? As we face the challenges of sin in this world, as we face the ways in which sin touches every last moment of our lives, In my mind, this question of why makes me ask, where is the authority? In the reading today, in chapter 40, we see God challenge Job's question. Shall a fault, fender, fault finder contend with the Almighty? He who argues with God, let him answer it. Job recognizes his smallness and God 
answers Job out of the whirlwind and says, dress for action like a man. I will question you and you make it known to me. You execute justice throughout this world. You cut down the evil in this world. You distribute the law and punishment in this world and then I will answer you. When you hold my authority, God says, then I will answer you. There are many places where we do have authority and many where we don't. Parents having authority over their children to raise them, to structure their life, to teach them what it means, hopefully, to know and love God. Parents may ask the teachers of their children, what it is are they teaching them? Where are you lacking? Where is my child having gaps that need to be filled? Or what do I disagree with? And so parents will move schools, find a different teacher, or take their child home and teach them themselves. A manager has the authority to question the employees as to, why are you late? Have I not taught you how to do this job well? If you do not improve soon, we're going to have to change your paycheck or let you go. Elders have authority in the church to shepherd the sheep, to shepherd the flock for their well-being. To ask that young couple, are you acting as if you were married and should not be? To ask those parents, how may we help you raise these children? To counsel those throughout the church, what do you need? How can we shepherd you as God sanctifies you in this life. There are many places where we don't have authority. God has set rulers over us, and often we wonder why God allows them to exercise their authority in the manner in which they do. We read Scripture and submit ourselves to God's Word not knowing God's purpose, God's end for it. And yet we know God has provided that word for us to shape us, to build us up, to correct us in joy, in suffering, in peace, in war. We submit ourselves to God and He rules over us. He governs this world. And so often, we, like Job, we ask, why? And yet, we cannot expect a plain answer. God does not often give us a plain answer for the ways in which we suffer, for the ways in which He works. But in God's response, we find 
comfort. It always struck me in reading Job how mighty God is. When I first read through Job on my own, I was in college, away from home, during lunch times at work, just reading 15, 20 minutes at a time. And seeing Job seesawing back and forth with his companions, arguing, being sure of his righteousness. And God answers him with his power. Just a few pieces from 38 and 39 in Job. God says, Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Or who shut the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb? Have you commanded the morning since your days began? Have you entered into the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Where is the way to the dwelling of light? And where is the place of darkness? Have you entered the storehouses of the snow? And God goes into the animals in this creation. Do you know when the mountain goats give birth? Is the wild ox willing to serve you? On and on God goes, displaying himself to Job, making himself known to Job. Not giving Job an answer for his suffering. Not giving Job a reason to say, ah, this is why God has done this. God reveals himself to this man in his suffering. And here Job is, he is rebuked. He is turned back. God displays the Leviathan and the behemoth in chapter 41 and goes about showing Job his might through those beasts. As God has created all of creation, even these two beasts who have so much power are underneath God's government. And then God rebukes Job, and Job answers in 42. We read how Job repents in dust and ashes. He despises himself, having seen with his eyes who God is. Before, Job had merely known of God. Job had heard about God. He and his companions debated, thinking they knew what justice was, what righteousness was not comprehending that we have so little understanding of the scope of God's work. The window of time that God operates in is limitless. It is vast beyond our measure, our appreciation. In this rebuke, Job returns to his place. He returns to trusting God. In this trust, we find comfort. We find 
rest. In this answer of God's might, we can be at peace. But only if we are in Christ, right? Who is afraid of a man with a sword when we have a shield? Or someone else to fight for us? I'm always struck by God's mightiness here in Job. His wonderful, merciful care for creation. All the details that God manages. But if God can govern the lightning, if God can govern the storms, while we may investigate and ask where we have dominion over creation, how all of this works, how thunder follows lightning, how the leaves turn colors in the fall. God is the one doing that. And normally, we would be afraid of God because we stand under His wrath, under His justice. We stand to suffer a great deal more than what we do now. But we have Christ. And we are comforted in Christ because He suffered with us. He humbled Himself and came down and became one of us that God would know suffering, that we would know that God is with us. But He also suffered so much more. Because Christ bore the wrath due for our sins. And we know that while in this time there is pain, there is toil, there is death, we can look forward to the new creation and see our bodies will no longer have that persistent injury. We will no longer need surgery or medicine. We will no longer fear death. We will be beautifully rejoicing and proclaiming to God who He is We have avoided God's wrath in Christ. Now, I know this is a Presbyterian church, but I grew up with the Heidelberg Catechism. And I think that the first question and answer there speaks so much to this comfort. What is your only comfort in life and in death? In all of this suffering, in all of this world, our comfort is in Christ that I am not my own, but belong body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with His precious blood and freed me from the tyranny of the devil. And I know that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. Surely all things must work together for my salvation. All things. 
And so in our suffering, we look forward to it, to the new creation. We are reminded of the imperfections of this world, and we are taught patience. It's struck me lately that those that we suffer with, we bond closer to in grief, in pain, in a horror movie. When we experience those things together, they bind us together. When we lament to God, we are addressing those laments and building that relationship with Him. Job was humbled by God's display, by God's exhibit of who he is. And Psalm 131 speaks well to this humility. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not concern myself with things too great and too marvelous for me but I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. These almighty arms of God comfort us as we go to Him with our suffering. As we know the things in this life will pass away and we will be with Christ. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you on this day for your providence, for your provision. While we do not understand all that you give us, while we do not know why you bring these heartaches and these trials to us. We know that you are using them to build us up, to refine us, and to refine your church. To display what it means to trust in God in all things. To show that we have hope even in the midst of this world's evils and brokenness. There is a trust that we hold. There is someone that we love at all times, that we know and we know intimately. Thank you, God, for revealing yourself to us, for giving yourself to us. In Jesus' name, amen.